things that you can do to help your body detoxify because we do have like just a high toxic burden. Number one, lowering your toxic burden, your toxic exposure with all the things that we just talked about, you know, choosing different products and making the changes where you can, and then doing things to support your body's detoxification pathways. So your body is made to detoxify um, through things like bowel movements, your liver, your kidneys, sweating through your skin, uh, through breathing, your respiratory system. Those detox pathways, you know, we're born with them as humans, but they can become kind of overburdened because of the toxic load that we have. Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing podcast, where we empower women to better support their families. Our goal is to educate on real food, raising little ones, and becoming our best selves. I'm Michelle Taggy. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I have a master's in analytics and I am the co-author of the postpartum prep guide on real root food for real moms.com. I'm a mom to three-year-old Connor and six-month-old Ashlyn. Also, I've been very focused on my hormones for the last four and a half years now since I've been starting to think about trying to get pregnant for the first time. So I am so excited to talk to Vicki today and get into the endocrine system and how we can keep it healthy and avoid things that might be disrupting it. Hi, Vicki. Michelle, I'm so excited to be here with you again today. Yeah. Yeah. You were on the podcast before, but Marissa interviewed you, not me. So we uh, actually haven't talked together. I know. It'll be fun. I mean, I'm looking forward to this conversation. There's always, there's always a lot to discuss when it comes to hormones and fertility and all that good stuff. So it'll be good. Oh my gosh, there's so much. So if you haven't listened, Vicky was on episode 31. It's called Breaking Up with Birth Control. And I did listen. It is so good. And just like anything you need if you're coming off birth control to support your body, um, because newsflash, it does impact the systems of your body when you're taking birth control. So um, that one was so good, but I'm so excited to have you back on again for more hormone talk. So I'll read your bio before we go too far, but Victoria Richards is a nutritional therapy practitioner and restorative wellness practitioner who believes women have the right to understand how their bodies work. She helps women master their menstrual cycles, regulate their periods, and break up with birth control in her online practice, Restoring Roots Wellness. She calls the Midwest home and isn't ashamed to admit her love affair for reality TV and all things pumpkin spice. So I am with you on the pumpkin spice. What's your favorite reality TV show? All of the Real Housewives. Um, Specifically, Real Housewives of Atlanta and Potomac and New York are probably my top three. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I've never watched Real Housewives, but. Oh my gosh. You're missing out. If you like good reality TV, you need to get on that. (laughs) I don't know if I do or not. I do have like the guilty pleasure of watching the challenge. Have you watched that? Like a little bit. Real world road rules, but now I can't get MTV. So. That's funny. (laughs) I've heard so much about the Real Housewives, though. I might have to uh, dip a toe in. (laughs) It's the best. Highly recommend. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. For those of 
those uh, listeners who haven't listened to your prior episode, could you give a little bit of a background on how you ended up like finding your way to nutrition and what made you focus on like women's health and hormones? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think finding my way into my interest for nutrition kind of started with my own health struggles, which is how I think so many of us come to this work. Um, you know, for me, it started with digestive and gut issues. Um, and I just found tremendous relief in that through changing my diet. Um, even though my, you know, my MD and my gastroenterologist had told me, you know, diet doesn't really affect it that much, but I decided I was going to try anyways and had much success with that. Um, and that just kind of opened my eyes to so much in this space and what eventually led me to, um, pursuing my nutritional therapy certification Um, and starting my business. But then to get more specific into, you know, the women's health and hormones and everything, really, that was driven from my experience with coming off hormonal birth control. Um, I was on the NuvaRing for eight years, which is a hormonal contraceptive. And when I came off of that, I felt completely lost. I did not know what to do. I knew since I was kind of like in, you know, like the paleo space a little bit at that time, I was not an NTP yet, but I was just about to start that program. Um, I knew that like birth control was not good for me. And I had been having some issues with my cycle. When I first came off, it was very irregular, uh, a lot of times very short. And then I would like not have a period for a few months. It was heavy. Um, my skin freaked out. There was just like a ton of issues that came up for me when I came off, um, the birth control. So I also didn't know like really how my cycle worked because I realized I wasn't really having a true menstrual menstrual cycle, which is something I talk about in that other episode, um, how birth control is actually just masking your menstrual cycle. You're not really having a true um, period and menstrual cycle. And so I kind of started dabbling in charting my cycle with fertility awareness method um, using like the symptothermal method of taking your body temperature and your cervical fluid. And like, I just, it was like all downhill, I guess you could say, or, or uphill. I don't know. It was all, it grew from there. And I realized like, gosh, I was not taught like any of this stuff about my period and my fertility and how birth control really affects my body. I just felt like I was not given that education as a teenager as, and as a young adult. And I felt so passionate about making sure other women can learn about their bodies um, because our bodies are amazing and they're not complicated. They're really not. Um, we just need to be given a little bit of education on them. And and so that's what I love to do and what brought me to this work. Yeah, that's so cool. And I really never started paying attention that much to my cycle until I was like in the headspace of like wanting to get pregnant sometime soon. So I was lucky enough to start paying attention before we were ready to start trying so that you know, once we were there, I kind of knew what to expect. But uh, yeah, I think it's crazy. They don't cover all this stuff in high school and um, just all the, in the education we get. Yeah, I think that's what's true. I think that's true for a lot of women. They don't pay attention to their cycle um, until they want to get pregnant. And that's usually when they're like, okay, I want to get pregnant. So now I'm going to come off the birth control pill. And I should be able to get pregnant right away, right? And unfortunately, that's not the truth for all women. For some, it is. Um, But I feel like you're right. Like, that's when we think, like, okay, now I need to start paying attention. But really, you can learn so much more information. And there's so much other cool stuff that happens with our cycle than just being able to have a baby. 
Yeah. Well, so let's just talk about the endocrine system. It is so complex. (laughs) This was like definitely the hardest module in school. Right. Um, But yeah, can we talk about like the endocrine system? What does it do? Why do we want to support it? Yeah, absolutely. So the endocrine system um, is is our hormone system, basically. So um, when we think of hormones, I think a lot of us think of our female reproductive hormones. So estrogen, progesterone, you know, testosterone, maybe you think of cortisol, like our adrenal hormones. Those are kind of the main hormones that I think most people think of when you think of endocrine system and hormones. And that's true. And that's like a lot of the work that I do. However, we have tons of other hormones. Um, insulin, you know, we have hormones that control our blood sugar and, and our sleep, our circadian rhythm, and and so much more. And so our endocrine system is that entire network of hormones. And you can think of our hormones as messengers um, that help communicate from cell to cell or from organ to cell or from, you know, gland to organ. They're basically just like signalers and messengers that do everything, like I said, from our reproductive health to our blood sugar to a ton of other stuff. Um, so when you think about it that way and how many hormones they are and how they control so much, you can start to realize how important they are. And the endocrine system is all about balance. Um, you know, when, when one hormone or one you know, part of the system comes out of balance, it kind of has a domino effect and affects everything else. So it's really this delicate balance that we want to try and maintain. And unfortunately, it can be affected by a lot of outside factors. Um, you know, I talk about stress a lot and stress has a huge impact on the endocrine system. Um, and toxins are another big one, which is what we're going to talk about today is endocrine disruptors. So the things that disrupt that system in our hormones, um, as it relates to like chemicals and, you know, these toxic products and things that are just in our environment and in our food system. And since, like I said, that, that system is so delicate, you can see these things kind of start to tip the dominoes and things can get out of balance pretty quickly. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how like, sensitive the system Mm -hmm. is to some of this and um i know we'll get into this more but like some of the the testing for these kind of products they're not looking at how does it change your hormone levels because how often do you get your hormones tested like never right Right. (laughs) um yeah and when you like something like when you get pregnant or like go through labor i think again it's something where you get such an appreciation for this cascade of hormones that you may not have ever thought before but your body can take a little embryo turn it into a human like give you contractions like do all like that's all from hormones which is just crazy amazing it is it's yeah so yeah you don't need any external thing to tell your body what to do it just does it so yeah um so yeah what is an endocrine disruptor and why do we care (laughs) yeah an endocrine uh disruptor or an endocrine disrupting chemical they're compounds that alter the normal functioning of the endocrine system um so like i said remember it's like a communication you know they're sending messages to each other and they adapt 
as things are thrown their way, like our body is smart and it will adapt and, um, you know, compensate for things. But when you have too much of this disruption, like I said, it can kind of start to throw things off and then other parts of the system might be overcompensating or not responding as well. Um, and that's when you start to get into trouble. So they're basically chem- chemicals um, that are going to alter the normal functioning of your hormonal cascade and your hormone and your hormones. And what, how would that impact something like your fertility or your cycle? So there's several different ways where it can impact um, kind of like your fertility or your body. Um, so I'm just going to list some of them off. It can cause an increase in production of certain hormones and decreasing production in others. So one that's really common example is estrogen. There's a lot of estrogenic or xenoestrogens, um, which are compounds that mimic the effects of estrogen in the body. Um, so estrogen dominance is a term um your listeners may have heard it's pretty common in menstruating women where we have either too much estrogen or too much estrogen in relationship to progesterone. So that's a really common one where you're going to increase the production of estrogen and decrease production of other hormones. Um, it can imitate hormones. Like I said, with like xenoestrogens, those literally mimic estrogen in the body. Um, it can turn one hormone into another. It interrupts with hormone signaling. Um, they can compete with essential nutrients, which obviously are critical when it comes to fertility. You know, when you're pregnant and breastfeeding, that's when your nutrient demands are the highest. So if you have these compounds that are competing for essential nutrients, that's going to put you at a disadvantage. Um, they can bind to hormones. They can accumulate in organs that produce hormones or help, um, you know, conjugate hormones. So for example, like your liver is really big in in estrogen metabolism and hormone conjugation. Um, And this isn't just about women. I also want to get that point across. I think when we think of fertility and pregnancy, we think a lot about women and the woman only, but there's a male factor in fertility as well. Um, I've read it as much to like 40% of infertility is male factor. Um, So don't forget about your man when we're talking about these endocrine disrupting chemicals, they have hormones too, and their fertility can absolutely be impacted as well. Oh, that's so good. I, yeah, I, I guess I tend to think of women too, maybe because I am a woman, but um, yeah, this is so much like, and I don't think it's something that is talked about a ton. Like I think in mainstream like media, I think soy is the one I hear most about. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about soy? Is that something? So soy is something that I think the verdict is out on. Soy can be, so it can be beneficial if it is quality soy, um, like organic, non-genetically modified, um, properly prepared. However, in the United States, you're not going to really find that. Um, almost hundred percent of the soy in the United States is genetically modified. Um, and is a super common food sensitivity. So I don't recommend that women eat soy, um, because of those reasons, like the benefits associated with soy tend to be, like I said, it really depends on the quality and you're just not going to find that in the United States. Um, so you're better off avoiding it. That's kind of my, my thoughts on soy. And is that a xenoestrogen? Yes. It can act as a xenoestrogen, which mimics estrogen. Okay. 
So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was going to ask that before you mentioned it, like, oh, well, how much of our, how much of our soy can we expect to be of that quality? But sounds like not so much. (laughs) Yeah. In the United States, unfortunately, it's just highly processed, highly genetically modified. Is fermented soy any different? Yeah. Fermented soy would be like, if you're going to properly prepare soy, that's how you want it to be prepared. But again, you want it to be non-GMO and organic. Okay, that's good to know. So it's it's something like soaking grains or like like preparing it to be exactly. Okay, awesome. Um, well, yeah. Can you give us examples of other common endocrine disruptors? Yes, absolutely. So there are quite a few, but I'm going to focus on like the most common that you're going to find most often in products, and the ones that tend to have like the most serious impacts. Um, So the first one is BPA, which I'm sure most of your listeners are probably familiar with. Um, It's found in plastics. Um, So think water bottles, plastic Tupperware, um, you know, can linings, things like that. And it elicits several um, endocrine disorders, and it plays a role in the pathogenesis of several hormone-dependent tumors, such as breast, ovarian, prostate cancer, and others. So that's not good. (laughs) Um, And I think we kind of know to avoid BPA. Um, Like I said, I think that's something that's become more kind of common knowledge, but this is definitely a big one when you're thinking of like plastics and things. Well, and what's really interesting, my cousin is a chemist and she was telling me that there's like this, basically the, the identical compound is called BPS. So it's like plastics have BPA and BPS and they're like the same thing. But yeah. And now all the, like a lot of plastic stuff is labeled like BPA free, but it still has this compound called BPS, which I think it'll come out soon that it does the exact same thing in your body. So I think just like getting things that are still plastic, but labeled BPA free might not be doing as much as you think it is. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. That's the thing. Like when we think of, I just feel like they're going to find a way to like, when it comes to manufacturing, they need to make a profit. And so they need to make things as cheap as possible. And they want them to be the plastics to be flexible and durable. And so they use certain compounds to achieve that product. And just because it's free of one chemical like BPA doesn't necessarily mean that it's the most healthful choice, right? Like exactly like your friend said, so now they have BPS in them. So yeah, my verdict is you're better off avoiding plastic whenever you can. Yeah. And trying like eating out of either silicone or glass. Exactly. Okay. And yeah, definitely never like heating up in plastic because it'll leach into the food more often or, um, yeah, like putting it in the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Um, some, yeah. So, um, yeah, go, go on with more, <laughs> more endocrine disruptors. Yeah. I'll also say another like hidden source of BPA is receipts. And when you use hand sanitizer, the alcohol and hand sanitizer, like kind of activates and brings more of that BPA onto your hands. And I know a lot of us are, you know, using hand sanitizer now in the middle of this pandemic. So like trying not to handle receipts, I always tell the cashier, like, you can just go ahead and throw that out. I don't need it. Um, so that's another like sneaky source of BPA. Yeah, that's what I do too. I just say like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay. So the next one is phthalates. Um, phthalates are really common also in plastics. So they contribute to the flexibility, the transparency, and the durability of products like, um, you know, vinyl flooring, shower curtains, plastic wrap, think like flexible plastic. Um, and phthalates can trigger what's known as death-inducing signaling in testicular cells, making them die earlier than they should. Um, and they've also been linked to hormone changes, lower sperm count, less mobile sperm, birth defects in the male reproductive system, and thyroid irregularities. So that's a, like a lot of scary stuff. And that's like a really good example of when I said, like, don't forget about your male partner, your the male factor infertility, um, because a lot of those effects that I just listed um, are unfortunately affecting the man. So um, they can also block the effect of testosterone. And phthalates are really common more so in like personal care products, beauty products such as lotions, hairsprays, nail polish, you know, perfumes, but like, gosh, they're really like everywhere. Um, insect repellents, sealants, like scented candles, they're kind of everywhere, unfortunately. And you're probably going to see this on an ingredient list as it could say phthalates or it's going to say DBP, DEHP, or DEP. Um, so it's kind of sneaky where it might not always like call phthalate out directly. Um, so these, the best thing you're going to do, a lot of the same recommendations that I said with BPA, so like avoiding plastics um, and then switching to safer skincare and cosmetic products, uh, reading those ingredient lists, using resources like ewg.org, which is a really great way to screen all of your products and determine the safety of it. Um, and just becoming an ingredient detective basically with your labels um, but the best thing you can do is just try and make cleaner choices when possible. Yeah. And this is something that's really hard to do, I think, unless like I love the EWG, but there's so much greenwashing out there that it's like, you'll find these products that are in like a natural looking label and they'll put like, no, this, no, this, no, this on the front. But then if you actually know what you're looking for, um, there's a lot of crap in there that you don't want. Um, so yeah, just to say, like, I think using resources like that or going to trusted brands, like I think you and I both like beauty counter. I like primarily pure a lot, but finding these brands where you can trust everything they make or like the EWC, like they have some products that are EWC verified. So like looking for those brands where, you know, kind of like, you can get anything from there. It just makes things easier because it, it is really hard, I think, to teach people how to read labels. I've definitely found that with like trying to tell my husband how to buy things that don't have gluten. Like it's hard for him to just like look at the ingredient labels. I totally agree. I am with you on Beauty Counter and Primarily Pure. I think I think you're right. It's easier to just have a few trusted brands um, that maybe you've done the research on and you feel good about those brands. And then you're like, okay, like for me with Beauty Counter and Primarily Pure, for example, I trust them. And I know that everything that they put out, they have the utmost transparency and quality. And so it's like one less thing to have to think about when you have those go-to brands. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I, I know it's safe. I can feel good about it. Um, because like you said, reading ingredient labels can be so 
tricky because there's like all these fancy words. And if you're new to this type of stuff, you might not be able to identify those things as easily. Yeah. And I did the same thing with candles. Like once I heard about all the fragrances and the soys and all that stuff that's in there, I was like, okay, I want a hundred percent beeswax. That's all I'm going to have in my house. Like I'm, I'm doing a full sweep. And so, yeah, I did some research around that and I'm like, okay, now (laughs) we're good. Um, Yes. Candles and fragrances, perfumes, the air fresheners that people like in Febreze, the Glade plugins. Oh my gosh. Those are big ones too. Fragrance in those products. Totally. Yeah. So it it takes a while to kind of make these switches, which we'll get into. Yeah. A couple others I'll just mention high level. Those are two big ones. Um, Flame retardants are another one. Um, And you're going to find these in furniture and building supplies. So this is one like when we, when we talk about like changes to make later, like just keep this in mind that you're never going to be perfect. And we'll talk more about that. But when you can, and you're buying new furniture, looking for products like couches and things that don't have flame retardants in them, um, because those have um, been shown to cause, um, you know, thyroid issues and leading to reproductive issues. So um, flame retardants are another big one. And then um, PFCs, which is basically the material that's in Teflon, like nonstick cookware, um, you know, that can flake off into your food. So avoiding things like nonstick pans, um, like Teflon and things like that, that's another um, good idea as well. Oh my gosh, this is like, this is so good. Um, and then for anyone listening, episode 11, we talked to the woman behind the non-tox shop. I don't know if you know her, but she went specifically into some of this in like baby products, like, uh, cause obviously babies, they're, they're very sensitive to these toxins as well. So if you're looking for more on some of this, um, but yeah, this is so good. So I'm excited to dive into like the practical side of it. Yeah, that's um, super cool that you have another episode on it when it comes to babies. Because absolutely, like all the things you have to pay attention to, it can be kind of overwhelming. But, but just do the best that you can. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't specifically go into like the hormone aspect of it. This podcast is partially supported by the Real Food for Real Moms Postpartum Prep Guide. Hillary Bennett and I are nutritionists, and we co-created this resource to inform and empower mothers and prepare for a healthy and happy postpartum period. In our guide, we cover the unique nutrient needs of the postpartum mom and dive deep into the various aspects of recovery and lactation. We make sure mom and baby both have their bases covered, and we pair this with yummy recipes that will make it easy to stay nourished. Our guide takes you through practical steps for stocking your freezer with casseroles, soups, snacks, and so much more as well as giving you convenient recipes for after the baby comes. As a listener of this podcast, we're inviting you to be a part of our beta launch. You can snag a copy now for 30% off, and we'll send you the final version once it's released later this year. You can also get a free sneak peek by going to realfoodforrealmoms.com and joining our email list. We're so excited to have you as a part of this community, and we look forward to supporting you through motherhood. Okay. So now I kind of want to get into the practical side of like how people can make these changes. So does it have to be completely avoided or is, is like any amount of exposure to these things harmful? I think, you know, the standpoint that I 
tend to take on all things health and wellness is you just do the best that you can. You know, first of all, we don't all have the financial means to go out and drop everything and buy everything brand new in like a super clean organic way. That's just not realistic for most of us. If you have the means to do that, like bravo, (laughs) go for it. Um, But that's just not realistic. And I certainly never expect myself or my clients to be perfect. You can't be perfect. We live, unfortunately, in a toxic world. That's just the reality. Um, So my approach to it is basically just do the best that you can. Um, You know, having a a little bit of exposure to something here and there, it's not a death sentence. You know, I think don't work yourself up over it so much, whereas now you have all this stress over it and that's going to cause other issues for your hormones. (laughs) So um, I think just do the best that you can. And I would basically approach it by like, okay, every time I buy something new, if I run out of a product or we're going to get a new couch or we're going to, I need, you know, a new face wash. When you run out of something and go to make a new purchase just use the education that you have now to be mindful and make a conscious choice to a clean product if you can. Um, so that's kind of the way I approach it. Like don't go out and then rebuy something that you know is toxic if you can help it. Um, the second approach you can take to it is kind of looking at the things in, that you're using that are going directly on your body. So things like your lotions and also like the things that are sitting there the longest, right? So if it's sitting on your skin and it's going to be absorbing all day, that would be a priority product to try and replace. So face lotion, um, foundation, lipstick, things that you're like, it's literally on your mouth. You're going to be eating it. Um, things that you wear often, you know, the stuff that you have the most exposure to, those would be things to prioritize. Um, And I would say another approach you can take is to look on like ewg.org, which we mentioned before, which is a really great resource to look at your existing products and figure out basically how toxic they are. And you could also take the approach of like, okay, this product rates like super high, which you don't want on EWG. By the way, you want like a zero on a scale of zero to 10. So if this comes up as like a nine on EWG, okay, this is pretty toxic. I'm going to prioritize getting this product out of my house and off my body. So there's a few ways you can approach it. But overall, I would say, you know, we do the best we can. We live in a toxic world. So you're going to ultimately probably get exposure from somewhere. So just trying to limit the exposure that you have control over in your own home with the things that you purchase is the best approach. I love that. And I'll just kind of share a little bit of my approach too. So something like um, your laundry soap, where you're, you have your clothes on you all day, every day and like Mm -hmm. in underwear, like where that's kind of sensitive skin or things like tampons that you're putting inside of you. Like, I think a lot of people don't even know that those are plastics, like that little mesh yeah. stuff on tampons. Yeah. Tampons <laughs> um, are super toxic. <laughs> yeah. And then I kind of said, like you said, like anything that you're ingesting, like lipstick or your cookware where you're literally like eating it or the, you, you reheat your food in the plastic takeout container from um, the, you know, the restaurant that you're getting those plastics into your food and you're putting them fully into your body and then things that you're inhaling. So Mm -hmm. like 
hairsprays, but it, things like powders. Like if you put a powder blush on, you're generally like breathing a lot of that in and it gets into your bloodstream actually quicker than going through your skin. Um, Cause your skin, you know, its job is to kind of keep stuff out. And if you're putting a lotion in that's supposed to get absorbed, um, yeah, there's definitely going to get some of it absorbed to your bloodstream, but um, maybe not quite as much as if you're eating it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that's a really good, um, good clarification there. I like that approach, like things that you're eating, like you said, and the inhaling, that's such a good point. Something we didn't really talk about is your cleaning products. Um, think about, um, you know, you spray something to wipe off your counter or whatever, and you're inhaling that. Like if you've ever walked down the cleaning aisle in a store, like a a traditional store, um, oh my God, you can smell, you can literally smell the chemicals like radiating out of the bottles. I don't know if it's just me because I'm really sensitive to chemicals or if you've ever experienced that, Michelle. Oh my gosh. It's the worst. Like I I am so sensitive right now. Yeah. Like I get a headache. So that stuff, those are like leaching into the air. Um, so cleaning products are another big one. And, um, you know, I've actually read studies where women who are like house cleaners or professional cleaners have higher rates of lung cancer because they're breathing in these toxic chemicals all day, every day, which is just really sad. Um, so yeah, I think like the, the mention that you made about inhaling and things that you inhale and things that you eat, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think about like when my mom used to have me clean the bathroom with like the comet, that would be like, like those are big particles and they'd just be like totally in the air. And, um, it's like horrifying to me now, but (laughs) I can't really go back, but no, that's a good point. Cause you are spraying the cleaners. Like if you're not spraying it directly onto the cloth, a lot of times you are like breathing that in the air. Um, And that's actually something I'm not as familiar with. I like to use Norwex. Like we use a little um, like tea kettle to heat up hot water and then use the cloths without any kind of cleaner because really hot water will get most, like get most of your cleaning done if it's really hot water. But uh, the Norwex class, I like like the microfiber Uh, because you're not using any chemicals, but there isn't something easy like the EWG list that like you can put any skincare product in there and it'll give you a score, but cleaning products are kind of difficult. Do you have any methodology for approaching that? So they do actually, so not on the skin deep website, part of EWG, but they do actually have a um, like consumer cleaning guide. I, it's funny you mentioned that because I just looked this up a few days ago. I needed to repurchase some stuff and I just wanted to kind of triple check some of the products I had been using just because they were like easy to grab at Whole Foods type thing. But I was like, I don't know how clean this actually is. A lot of that can be greenwashing. Like the Mrs. Myers products, for example, is a really great example of greenwashing. There's a lot of fragrance in those products and fragrance can hide um, some nasty stuff. Um, so I was on EWG on there. Like we'll have to like try and find a link to it, but you can find it on EWG. And one of the products that ranked the best 
I just ordered. So I'll let you guys know on Instagram how I like it. Um, it's by Aspen Clean. They're all EWG approved, which is the best rating you can get on that website. Um, it's in a, it's a, They're actually like a professional cleaning company that has these natural products. Um, so I'm going to give those a try. I'll let you know. But another one that actually rates really high on EWG that you can find in like Whole Foods and stuff is Seventh Generation. Um, you can get that at most stores and they rate really well on EWG. So I tend to go for them if I'm like at the store and just need to grab something. Oh, that's so good to know. Yeah, because fragrance, like we talk about that in foods, if it says natural flavors, I'm really turned off by the food because I'm like, well, they could just tell you what was in that if they want it to be transparent. Whereas like natural flavors can just like mask all these things that they Mm -hmm. don't want to spell out. So fragrance is kind of the same thing where it's hundreds of ingredients that they can hide chemicals under. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'll definitely link to that. I'll find that EWC guide because I'm, I'm interested myself. And then um, maybe I'll hear from you before this airs and link to the Aspen products if you like it. But yeah, definitely. um, That's so good to know. So Um, yeah, I think that gives practical ways to prioritize, like when you're out of something, when you're inhaling something, uh, the beauty bit that kind of became addicting for me because I liked the product so much. And they're just like, I don't know if you're like wasting stuff, it's not a better bargain than buying something that you love and like makes you feel good. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. You know, a lot of people, um, I think, have beauty products that they love. Um, you know, if you're like a skincare makeup junkie, you might have like a really hard time giving up like your Mac makeup or your, you know, whatever, your Mary Kay. Um, however, I think like clean beauty in the past has gotten a bad rap for not working. Like it's super crunchy. You think like coconut oil and, you know, things that might not really do much for your skin or they might not have like long lasting makeup, but with beauty counter, that's one of the reasons I love them so much. It's really the best of both worlds. It's high performing products and primarily pure. They're high performing and they're safe and it makes you an addict. I had like the most basic skincare routine before I joined beauty counter. And now I have like a seven step skincare routine because it's addicting and you just fall in love with the products. Same. Yeah. Yeah, It's funny because beauty counter will actually like get a little bit of flack from the super country people or crunchy people because it's like not quite as clean as I'd like, but it's like, well, yeah, it's not just coconut oil. It performs. Right. (laughs) So it's like such a better option. And I, I love it. So, um, yeah, so this is awesome. And I guess I I wanted to talk about, like, we've heard some of this, like, well, doesn't the FDA protect us from things like this? Do you have a response for that? I do. So, yes, the FDA does regulate things. Um, They do, you know, there's some level of testing required for products to come onto market. However, I will say there's a few caveats to that. Um, one of which is the regulations are not as strict as they are in other countries. So I think that's like a really interesting thing to think about is why the regulations in the United States are so much looser and we um, allow the use of so many ingredients and products that are banned in countries like the European Union or Canada or Australia. Um, I think that 
just kind of makes you think. Um, something else to consider is that oftentimes when you're doing testing on a chemical or an ingredient, you're only looking at that isolated ingredient at that time in that lab or, or that setting. Um, what you're not doing is first of all, accounting for the combination um, effect of exposure to multiple ingredients um, and the level of toxicity that can build up and what that does to the body when you're being exposed to not just that one ingredient in that one amount at that one time, but over a period of time with all of these other, you know, toxic chemicals and the compounding effect that that has. So that's like one thing that they don't really account for. Something else is the FDA is not really looking out for, you know, like how it might, you know, slightly change or, you know, alter your endocrine system type things. They're looking for more severe outcomes like, um, you know, death or, you know, just the more severe outcomes, which obviously we don't want. Right. And they do their best to protect us from those things, of course, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're looking for, like, it could slightly alter your thyroid function. And then that compounded with all the other ingredients that you're using can really cause a big issue. So I think it just doesn't really take into effect those things as much. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. Cause what they're looking for is like in really high quantities, does it kill you? Right. It doesn't talk about like taking in the small amount every day. How does that impact your liver? Um, and fertility is really just like this big question mark. I know so many people who have had trouble with fertility and mm -hmm. they never get an answer to what's going on. It's just like, oh, this, this is happening. We can try IVF. And... <sighs> I guess during that time when you're trying to get pregnant or like think about pregnancy, I do think this stuff has to become more of a priority. And then of course, like when you're pregnant, when you're breastfeeding, um, like a lot of the stuff that will go into your bloodstream does go into your milk. Milk is actually made of blood. So any of these toxins will get to your baby. And I mean, and this is not to like guilt or shame anybody, but it is just a time to be more aware and like take, take stock, I guess, of what are you doing? And sadly, baby products have a ton of greenwashing. Like there's a mm -hmm. company, Baby Ganics, that got sued because people assumed it was safe because it sounded like organic. And they're just like, no, that's what we named our company. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so it's like, like consumers who want to do well and want to support companies that are doing it right, it is hard. And they, the companies that are bigger, like not only have more of an incentive for profit to cut corners, but they have more of this ability to market and make you think what you're doing is good when you're not. Like it's, it's kind of hard for the quote unquote little guys who are doing it right to get their name out there. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. You know, when you're thinking of baby in the future, it doesn't matter if you don't want to be pregnant for three years, five years, like the things you can do things to lower your toxic burden, 
which is going to benefit your fertility. It's going to benefit your future child and it's going to benefit you quite frankly. And that's important too. Um, and it, like we said, like if you're thinking about, Oh my gosh, I didn't, this is like all new to me. I have so many products I need to switch out. Like, okay, well, it's okay. First of all, you didn't know. And now that you know better, you can try to do better. And you just slowly make those changes and little changes add up. It lowers that toxic burden that your body has to take on. And like you said, especially when you're actively trying to conceive or are pregnant or nursing, that is such a critical time to be paying attention to these things as much as possible. And unfortunately, the onus really is on the consumer. We can't fully trust, you know, the marketing and the packaging and that these companies are putting out a product that's truly not going to be harmful for us. And that's the frustrating piece, I think, is just the misleading marketing and the fact that the FDA doesn't like fully protect us from a lot of these ingredients that shouldn't be in products and people are using and they don't know. Um, I didn't know. You don't know until you know. And then you're like, well, what the heck? I really wish I would have known this. And then it's really frustrating. So um, I think you just have to do your best to educate yourself and and find products and brands that you know are safe and then just (laughs) do the best that you can from there. Totally. It's all about like not trying to be perfect, but like, like make changes that you can manage. And even for me, it was overwhelming with all the baby stuff. Like, oh my gosh, I need organic uh, diapers and organic pajamas and like all the things, you know, like uh, nothing Mm -hmm. can touch my baby's skin. And what I ended up deciding was um, I'm going to take this really seriously for three months and then I'm going to not be as concerned about it because actually baby's liver is functioning a lot better when they're three months old. That was when I started being okay with having a couple glasses of wine and uh, so it's it's all about making your priorities and then being in a place where you can feel good about it. Like if you're just sitting and like feeling guilty, like, oh, I shouldn't be using this product. You're probably not serving yourself that well. It's, mm-hmm. um, it, yeah, we none of us are perfect. I certainly prioritize some things over others and then just say like, this is something that's important, but I don't have the capacity to change it right now. A hundred percent. 100% agree with you. So, but I do like, I strongly, strongly, and this is like why I joined Beauty Counter. Like I want people to be aware that there are other options and there are options that can be easy for you. Like I just kind of want to create that consumer awareness. So we do have a choice. It's not these big companies that are like, well, we are, we are going to tell you what you're putting in your body because we're going to make it the only option. Like, yeah. Um, um, things that you can do to help your body detoxify because we do have like just a high toxic burden being in the United States in the year 2020. It's just a toxic world that we live in. Um, so the things that you can do, number one, lowering your toxic burden, your toxic exposure with all the things that we just talked about, you know, choosing different products and making the changes where you can, and then doing things to support your body's detoxification pathways. So your body is made to detoxify um, through things like bowel movements, your liver, your kidneys, sweating through your skin, uh, through breathing, your respiratory system. Those detox pathways, you know, we're born with them as humans, but they can become kind of overburdened because of the toxic load that we have. So we want to do things that help support them and keep things moving out of the body. Um, So things like sweating, 
through exercise or taking a hot bath. Um, if you have access to an infrared sauna, that's great, but you can certainly just sweat through exercise or taking a hot bath and drinking like ginger tea, for example, to warm the body from the inside. Drinking lots of water, especially filtered water, if you have access to that. Um, not bottled plastic water, please <laughs> remember what we talked about with plastics, but drinking a lot of filtered water to keep things moving out through the urine, regular bowel movements and a healthy gut microbiome, um, you know, working on your digestive function and um, supporting your liver and kidney function. I would do that through working with a qualified practitioner, but there are tons of herbs and nutrients that you can use to support liver function. Um, and just eating a nutrient-dense diet with antioxidant-rich foods um, like fruits and vegetables, choosing organic if possible, um, you know, just to help support your body with what you're taking in as well. And then, of course, don't strive for perfection. It's never going to happen. Just do the best that you can to kind of support your body where you can. I'm so glad you covered that because it is so important. Um yeah, we're like, no matter what we do, there's pollution, there's toxic exposure we have. So totally. Uh, so yeah, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram is where I hang out the most. I'm at restoring underscore roots on Instagram. Um, you can also head to my website, www.restoringrootswellness.com and learn more about um, working with me as a client. Um, or just getting in touch. If you have any questions, I would be more than happy to chat with you. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And you can find me, Michelle Taggy, at michelletaggy.nutrition on Instagram or on my website, michelletaggy.com. Talk to everyone next week. Bye.